Zechariah 13, Mark chapter 14. This morning we're going to be talking about stumbling over the shepherd, if you could believe that that's even possible, but uh, apparently it is. And we're going to start with Zechariah chapter 13, then we're in Mark chapter 14, and Mark chapter 14 we'll be reading verses 27 through 31. But I want to start with Zechariah chapter 13. And then once you have your place in your Bible, go ahead and stand to your feet so you can follow along as I read uh, through these verses here. Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. I pray today's message will be a help. Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets, and that does refer to false prophets, and the unclean spirit to to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that beget him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet. I am a husbandman for, uh, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Mark chapter 14, if you will, verse 27. Verse 27, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. And that will conclude our reading. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Thank you for the wonderful word of God. What a, what a precious book we have in hand this morning. Lord, you've done a great work to preserve it, to keep it, so that we might read it today and to apply its truths in our lives. And as Jesus said, the truth shall set you free to be set free of the shackles of sin and to set for, be set free of confusion and unbelief, but to be given a sure path of faith laid out in front of us 
based on the Word of God. I pray you'd help us this morning with the message that you would touch hearts and lives and do all that you're able to do, and may the Holy Spirit have absolute liberty here. Father, I pray if there's any sin that's hindering you now, Lord, would you please, just for this moment, let your grace cover it, Lord, that we would be forgiven, that your favor would be here on us, that your will would be done now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about stumbling over the shepherd. We'll be going back to Zechariah chapter 13 as we're making our way through the passage. And I hope you noticed Zechariah 13, 7 was the the uh, scripture that Christ was referencing in Mark 14, 27. So Jesus had warned his disciples of the events that were right out in front of them. You know, by the time we get to chapter 15, Jesus will be crucified for the sins of the world. But during this time, Jesus says this in verse 27, after they had finished the Passover meal, they had sung their hymn. This was last week's message. Then verse 27, he says unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. He warns them here of something that is about to happen. And uh, he warns them of what is going to take place, that they would be offended because of him. Now the word offended means to put a stumbling block in in front of someone. Uh, You could imagine if, uh, I remember when, when I was younger and I used to walk through the woods with, uh, it was my brother and I had a cousin with me and two friends that lived in the neighborhood. We'd be uh, traveling through the woods and, you know, sometimes it would get kind of dense. And sure enough, somebody was mischievous enough to where if a big limb were hanging just down in the path, they'd grab that limb and they'd pull it with them as they were walking. And then what would they do? They'd let it go and it would slap the person behind them right in the face. Some of y'all have probably done that before. Blake, don't try it, okay? He's getting ideas already. Um, But a stumbling block is something on the pathway of life, something that has been put out there, something that will cause you to trip and stumble. And in this passage, Jesus says to all of his disciples, he says, tonight you're going to be offended. And, and, And look how he says it in the scripture. He says, you're going to be offended because of me. It's as if Jesus was saying, I am going to become a stumbling block tonight for you. They're going to stumble over the shepherd. Well, it goes on. He says, he quotes this passage of scripture. We'll look at here after a while. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And then he says, after that, I'm risen and I'll go before you into Galilee. But look what Peter says. Peter says, although all shall be offended, although everybody else in this crowd right now And could you imagine the sneering looks the other disciples would have had towards Peter? He says, all these other losers out here, they might stumble, but not me, Lord. Not me. He says, yet not will I. And then the Lord turns to Peter and says, I say unto thee that this day, even in this night before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Not just once, Peter, will you be offended, but three times you're going to do it tonight. He goes on and Peter goes on and he says, it says more vehemently, meaning with great passion, he's arguing with the Lord, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And then likewise also said they all. Maybe you've been in that boat somewhere before. In your life, you've said, it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. I wouldn't deny the Lord. And then you end up finding yourself out of church for a large length of time, or you find yourself out of the Word of God for a very long length of time, or you find yourself not praying anymore like you once did, or you find yourself 
adding things into your life that you know do not glorify God. Take heed lest you fall is what Paul said. Pride is often a, a, an enemy of our flesh because our flesh is weak and the spirit is strong. But because of our pride, we often find ourselves more vulnerable uh, to the attacks of the devil and even the temptations of sin in the world than we care to admit. In this case, I want to share four thoughts with you out of the passage here and even out of Zechariah. And I first off want to talk about the stumbling over the shepherd and just address a couple things here, and then I'm going to move quickly out of this particular portion of uh, the Scriptures. But in verse 27 there, you see he uses that word offended, which again, as I said, refers to being a stumbling block, something that will cause one to sin. And these stumbling stones tend to be all over the pathway of life. You're, you're probably dealing with some of them now. Some have been put out in front of you. You say, well, that seems kind of uh, mean to do such things, but it's not. It's actually a way of proving what's already in you so that you might seek the face of God to have it restored. Sometimes I'll refer to trials of life as being storms in our lives. There's storms of inspection. There's storms of correction. There's storms of perfection. I think there's even storms of instruction. But those storms can often be seen as stumbling blocks as well. And those things that are put out before us can be there in order to inspect us, not for God's benefit, but for your own benefit. Maybe there's a temptation that has been put out in front of you. Or maybe there's a trial that has been put out in front of you. What have you done in the midst of the trial? Have you forsaken the Lord? Have you clung to the Lord? Have you prayed? Have you confided in Him? Have you sought absolute refuge in Him? Or have you looked other ways? Well, these are not things that God doesn't know in our hearts. These are things that God is revealing to us so that we might be aware of our failures as His children. Or if you're lost this morning, your great need for the Savior. They're stumbling blocks. Many times we find ourselves stumbling over these, these um, temptations, I guess I could say. I couldn't grab a hold of the right word there, but these trials of life, uh, the inspection, like I said. Then there's others like the correction. At times, things are put in front of us that are there to correct us. I've known people that have gotten away from the Lord and their walk with Him, and they've allowed themselves to even though they were born-again Christians, get to a place where they were in, in just ungodly sin. You know, not to pinpoint anything specific, but they were just doing things they knew they shouldn't have done. And then when they're at that point, they find that there's something happening in their life. Maybe they got sick. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe there's problems in their marriage, okay? There's a lot of things that can come up. And instead of realizing that those are there as a way to correct something that may have happened, they might push on past it and just see to resolve it through the flesh. But God puts it there as a benefit. And then often people will stumble over it, not realizing why that was put there to begin with. Correction. And then there's trials of perfection that come up in our lives. Can you believe that God wants every single one of us to be perfect? Now let that settle in for a second. How many here would say you are perfect? I don't think any of us could. And I know my hand's up, but I'm just doing it as an example. I couldn't raise my hand either. But did you know God has called us to perfection? He called um, Abraham to perfection in Genesis 17. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect. 
You say, how can we do it? How can we do it? It is a lifelong goal to strive to be godly in everything that we do in life. And there are things that are put in the pathway of life to help to perfect us during life's journey. In this case, the disciples. All right, let's go back to our text for a second. They've been walking with the Lord for over three years. They have seen the Lord heal. They have seen the Lord raise some from the dead. They have seen the Lord feed thousands. They have seen the Lord Jesus walk on water. They have seen the Lord calm the, the angry storm. They have seen the Lord do things that we would would could only dream of seeing the Lord Jesus do, and that's exactly what they saw him do, every bit of it. And then in addition to that, God gave them special power as they went out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and he gave them special power that they too might be able to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to even raise the dead, and to do things that are absolutely supernatural. But can you believe that they still were not perfected either? And even at this time, Jesus says tonight, after all that they had been through and all that they had done, he says, tonight you're going to be offended and it's because of me that you'll be offended. Because the trial ahead is something that you will not be able to handle. And because of me, you're actually going to stumble tonight. Peter says, not me, Lord. I'm so faithful. I wouldn't stumble. I'll not mess up. I'll be right there. I'll not deny you. And then the other disciples say the same. But the sad truth is, in that pride, they were no longer abiding in the words and the wisdom of their shepherd. They were sheep trying to lead the flock themselves or trying to lead themselves. And you know, often we find ourselves in trouble because of that fact, because we are sheep who are trying to be shepherds. And God is the only shepherd worth following for any of us. And as the scriptures would tell us very clearly, the, the psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And it's only when we get behind him and we follow him that we are led, that we are guided, that we are kept with the strength and the power that we need in order to glorify God. All right, so let's get into a text tonight. Go back to Zechariah chapter 13 with me. So the stumbling block, and I said tonight, I meant this morning, um, the stumbling block here, again, is the Lord Jesus putting a trial before them. And the trial would be the Lord's full work of redemption, and it was going to be a stumbling block for them. Their belief was that Christ would conquer the nation of Rome or the empire of Rome, uh, but that's not God's plan. And so the Lord uses this passage out of Zechariah 13, 7. If you will, look with, it, look with me again at that passage. And it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. There, the, here we are reminded, or Jesus reminds his followers, that there's a smiting that must take place. And that smiting is that stumbling block that they could not quite wrap their mind around. So if you're taking notes this morning, you first off got the stumbling block or the stumbling over the shepherd, put that down, and then you've got the smiting of the shepherd, the smiting of the shepherd. Christ, uh, here in our text, we find that the Lord's death was something that was always a part of the Lord's plan, God's plan. 
And even in Zechariah, which was written in about 500 B.C., five, over 500 years prior to, the, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ being on earth, there's great prophecy in chapter 13, and, and we're going to try to use this to help us this morning with the message. But in verse 7, it speaks about this smiting of the shepherd. And you see in the verse, it says, Awake, O sword. This is the sword of God. Uh, this is the one that he is providentially guiding. He says, O sword against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. This is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is prophetic in its, its nature. He says, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. Now Jesus says in Mark 14, he says, I will smite the shepherd. That means that God is the one who smote his son. It was not the Roman Empire, though it was, and it wasn't the Jew, though it was. It was God Almighty smiting his son. And God had this great plan to, to take the life of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he might redeem the world from its sin. Now, there's a lot of passages that I want to share, and I'm going to narrow these down here. Uh, I want you to go and grab... Isaiah 53.10, that'll be closest to us in Zechariah. Isaiah 53, if you will, go to the left in your Old Testament. Right before Jeremiah there, you'll come across it. Isaiah 53.10. And then I want you to go over to John chapter 10. So Isaiah 53.10 and then John chapter 10. And we're going to connect these verses here. Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Again, that's prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased Jehovah, God, the Father, to bruise his son, Jesus. It says, He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That's who Jesus is for each one of us, an offering for our sins. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, if you will look at John chapter 10 with me. Verse 11. We've got three things I want you to try to keep in your mind here. Zechariah, the Lord smites the shepherd. Isaiah, it pleased him to bruise his son, the Messiah. Okay? Now look at John chapter 10, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He says here that his life was given for his sheep. He goes on, he says, But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on, he says, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and therefore shall be one fold and one shepherd. There he was referring to Jew and Gentile. The fact that the Gentiles were not a part of the original fold there in Israel during the ministry of Jesus, 
but we have been grafted in, brought into this great gift that God has offered to us, and that through the blood of Christ, we as Gentiles can even be added to the family of God. What a blessing. So in the passage, again, you see three ideas there. You see that in Zechariah, there's the smiting of the shepherd. In Isaiah 53, there's this this smiting, this bruising that takes place that actually pleases God. And then in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I'm laying my life down for all of you. What it tells us is that the smiting that Jesus refers to in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, when he says, this night you'll be offended of me, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd. That smiting was a plan that God had prepared from the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. I know I'm a little heavier with Scripture this morning, but I hope it'll all connect and it'll make sense and help you out, okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis three fifteen, In Genesis chapter 3, this is the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve had rebelled against God. They, were, uh, they allowed sin to come into their hearts. The curse of death was put upon the world. And that's why we all have to experience death at some point in our lives as well. But during that time, God was planning something. He had prepared redemption for humanity because he knew that the wages of sin is death. And all those who are in sin shall die. And they shall be forever separated from God if something is not done. So God makes a prophecy in the very beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And in this prophecy, he speaks about how there would be some, some hierarchies in the world. For one, he speaks about the serpent, and we know that is Satan, that he would be the least esteemed in all the world, that he would be grossly hated and, and he would become very low. And I think most of us could see why that is. The devil is absolute evil and if anyone were to say, what's the greatest form of evil? I think one would have to quickly say Satan is the greatest form of evil. But then it goes on, it speaks about man. And with Adam, he's to till the ground and, and uh, he's to uh, have to find that the, the world does not always give back everything that he works for. The sweat of the brow is something that is mentioned in the text as well. Um, it goes on, it says in... in um, Verse 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee, that's the, the serpent, and between the woman, and between thy seed, the serpent's seed, and between her, the woman's seed, it shall bruise thy head. That's the seed of the woman, shall bruise the head of the serpent, the wicked one, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now in Genesis 3.15, this is not a pile of prophecy here, but it is speaking towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ hung on the cross, the serpent, Satan, believed that he had gotten a victory over the Son of God. And the bruising that took place was the death of Jesus. But his bruising was just merely that of a heel. Here recently, Adelia was in the bathtub taking her bath. 
and she gets real excited. I mean, I think she believes she's a mermaid. And she was kicking and all, and, and her foot went up, and it hit the faucet that comes out, you know, where the water comes out. And it's pretty wide. It's got a square on it about yay big. And it cut the back of her heel. And, you know, at first it hurt. But, you know, the days have gone by, and it's now scabbed over. And she's back to normal, even though she's still got the cut there on her heel. It, it hurt at first, but it wasn't that bad. She kept on going. We put a little Band-Aid on it. She got back up on her feet, and she went and she kept, kept playing. The bruising of the heel is not that bad. That's nothing. Could you imagine death not being that bad? Now, most of us would say death is the end. But for the Son of God, it was nothing more than a bruising of his heel. But for the serpent, Satan, who once had power over death because of our sin and because Satan was labeled as the God of this world, his head was crushed on that day when Christ died on the cross. And the head of the serpent was destroyed. As mentioned in verse 15, his head was bruised. But back to the hill, and I could take the time to dig a little deeper, but I'm going to end up getting too much in the weeds on this thing, so let me keep on going. Back to the hill here, the smiting of the shepherd. God had planned from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, even prior to that, we know other passages that would say that Jesus was a, a, a lamb that was prepared for that sacrifice even before the foundations of the world were laid. But God, could you imagine God in eternity past before he had spoke the world into existence knew that we would come short of the glory of God and that he actually prepared the plan that the Son of God would go forth and die in our place so that we might have a home in heaven and be forever with our Creator. That's amazing. And so when it comes to the days of Jesus in Mark 14 and he says, this night you're all going to be offended because of me because as it is written, I will smite the shepherd. He was informing them again that I am about to go to the cross. I'm going to die. This task seems impossible. It goes against everything that you imagine would be a proper way to accomplish God's work, and yet that's exactly what God's going to do. But the problem was, as the scriptures go on after the smiting of the shepherd is mentioned there, we find that though this all was a part of God's plan and Christ was sent to die, we find that as the verse goes on in verse 7, it says, the sheep shall be scattered. Jesus said, I will smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. What happened with the sheep is they were scattered because they lacked faith in what God's plan was. Do you know why people backslide away from God? Sure, they're drawn away by their own lust, but I believe they also lack faith in God's plan for their life. I know from this pulpit, I, I don't know how many messages I've preached in five years, but I'm sure it's close to a 1,000. I know on Facebook there's almost 800 recordings put on there, so it's been a lot. And I've, told, I've said it time and time again how God has a plan for every single one of His children. When you were born again, God put His power in you. God took His blood and put it upon you. And He has a plan for your life. But you've got to come out from the world and be separate saith the Lord, and let him have a hold of your life. And often what happens is the sheep are scattered abroad simply because they don't understand the plan of God. And when the stumbling blocks come up in their life, that's when they stumble and they end up falling away from God instead of drawing closer to Him. In the case of, the stumbling, in the case of this stumbling block, can you believe it? It was all a part of God's plan. You say, yeah, but my stumbling block's different, Brother Tim. 
My sickness has been different. Can you believe it? It's all a part of God's plan. You say my, my loss at my job is different. Could you believe that it's all part of God's plan? The loss of a child, the loss of a loved one, the change in circumstances, it's all so different. No, it's not. Can you believe it's all part of God's plan? If God could take himself, robe himself in human flesh, walk upon the face of the earth, and then be one day out from being crucified on a cross and say, this is all part of my plan. And it actually be a part of his plan. And it was through that fire that that's when the great work of salvation would actually be available to the world. Then the plans that God has for our lives, honestly, they can't be any greater than what we're reading right here in Scripture right now. The trials that you're going through, they're no greater than what's right here in the Scriptures. The hard times you've been dealing with, I'm telling you, it's no greater. You may you, Now, some may be cynical, and some may say you don't understand it. God knows it. And the truth is, I don't understand everybody's problems, and you don't understand all my problems. But God does. There's a God in heaven who does understand. And don't let the stumbling blocks in life be the thing that scatters you away from the Lord. In this case, it happened. But it was all still something that God was going to work through for his own glory. The scattering of the sheep take place. In Mark chapter 14, the disciples were literally scattered. Peter did go on and deny the Lord three times. We'll have another message later on about that. None of the, none of the disciples stormed the doors of the Jewish temple nor the doors of the Roman guard in order to rescue Jesus. You know what they did? They went into hiding. They scattered. And many of those who claim to be followers of Christ... You know what they never did? They never showed back up again. They scattered. Zechariah chapter 13 mentions in verse 7 about the shepherd that's smited and then the sheep that shall be scattered. And then it says this. Look at verse 7 again. If you're, I hope you're holding those two places. We're just going to be going back and forth. At the end of the verse it says, I will turn my hand upon the little ones. When he uses the word little ones, he's not necessarily referring to children. He's referring to the remnant that's left. There was a remnant that was left. They were all scattered, but through the scattering, there was a great purging that went on, and there was a small remnant that remained. He goes on in verse 8, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Now there's some future prophetic things happening here when it comes to tribulation. There's some past things that are even happening here, but also spiritually speaking, there's some more things going on here. It speaks about those who fall away and are never restored. It speaks about those who once were followers of the Lord, but in their own pride they swelled up. They said, it's not me, Lord, it's not me, Lord. And then they are the ones who are overcome with the world and they've stopped doing anything for their Savior. It refers to those. Two parts of that uh, as it says there, two parts therein shall be cut off, but the third shall be left. So he's speaking about three parts total, and he speaks about two that were gone. I will bring the third part throughout through the. I'm sorry. I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined. When Christ was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and eventually taken to be tried and then crucified. See, there were many people who said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Lots of them. Judas Iscariot would have been one of those. 
He spent three and a half years with Jesus, doing everything Jesus asked him to do. I'll serve with you. I'll eat with you. I'll even hold the money bag. I'll go and do the miracles with you. I'll sail across this dangerous sea along with the other disciples. Judas was right there walking with the Lord. But when the smiting took place, that, that sheep, he never came back because he was not of the fold of Christ. See, often those stumbling blocks are there to prove whether or not we are truly right with God, whether or not we are truly a child of God. The trials that we go through, if we find that our, our relationship with God seems to come to its end and we end up departing from the Lord, it's very likely that that person may have never known Christ to begin with. And then for others, maybe it's just that it got cold. You didn't stoke the fires of that love and that, that compassion for the Lord. And so the scattering of the sheep can lead to all, uh, many outcomes. But in this case of Zechariah, it speaks here of the use of the scattering took the third part, the small remnant, brought them through the fire of verse 9. He says, and, and, and we'll refine them as silver is refined and we'll try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. They're convinced. They're convinced. Whenever a, a, some type of metal ore is put, to, put into the refining process and it is put against extreme heat, what will happen is the purities will separate from the impurities. And the impurity is often referred to as dross, and it will come out from that which is pure. But it's not until it's put to the fire that it takes place. It happened in my life. I'll give you my story. I won't give you the details, but I'll give you some of it. I was saved at the age of 13 years old. I went to a church for a little while and started to grow a little bit, but fell right back out of church. Went right back into some things I had done prior to being saved. Uh, putting things in my body I shouldn't have put there. Getting involved in things that I shouldn't have been involved with. I guess at about the age of 15, I finally had experienced the chastening hand of God. Not out of anger, though it was some, but mostly out of love. And God chased me to a point where I had gotten in trouble at school. I'd been expelled from high school when I went into my um, 10th grade year. Was not allowed to come back. They told me they wanted me to find somewhere else to go. I was too horrible of a child and student in that school. They didn't want anything to do with me. And I was sitting at home, was not allowed to go to school. Uh, you know, just was in a mess of trouble trying to figure out what to do. Now, at that point, I could have done like some people and been angry at God. God, I thought my life was going to be great because I'm saved now. Maybe some things need to change uh, from you, not from me. But instead, it was through that that God was putting me through a refining process. And at first, I didn't fully understand it. But what happened was, eventually, everything about me changed. I had things in, in my life that I just got rid of. I said, I need to change these. So, I don't know. I didn't understand it, but I said, they don't need to be there. I got rid of them. I started to change my appearance. I mean, I'm telling you, I looked like a hoodlum, but next thing you know, everything was different. My appearance from head to toe changed. Many people were shocked by it when I finally was able to go back and see some of the people I went to school with. My language was starting to change, though I was still using profanity at the time, but my words were starting to change. The way I talked, the way I acted, the way I treated people, things were happening in my life and eventually, it brought me to a place in my early 20s where I realized, just as it says here, 
that the Lord said, I'll hear them, I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. And I realize the Lord is my God. And from that point on, my life has been given and surrendered to the Lord. Now, I've not always done everything right, but I had to be put through a fire in order to come out from the other side and it be proven that I am a true child of God. Maybe you're going through that fire right now. Maybe the scattering is happening in your life and you've been scattered away from the Lord. Know that God's got a plan in it and He wants you to come closer to Him, not draw farther away. The scattering of the sheep often does these things. And in our text in Zechariah, we see that it was only because of the smiting of the shepherd and the scattering of the sheep that there was a small remnant that was left that had been put through the refining fires and then they come out in the end and they say, the Lord is my God. They believed it. Did you know all throughout the Bible, persecution often purifies God's people and God's church? In the New Testament especially, there, is, there are multiple times where persecution shows up in the ministry of the disciples during that first century. But what that persecution was used to do is that persecution would often purify that group so that those who truly believed in the Lord and said, the Lord is my God, those would remain and all the pretenders would pass away. I believe now we're seeing some of that happening in our local churches. That some churches are being purified and there's a small remnant that's left that genuinely wants to do the work of the Lord. But all the pretenders, they're sitting at home. They're doing other kinds of things. They're not involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ any longer. And it proves them. And this work of Christ, their God, even back three years ago when COVID came through, was just a part of God's plan to prove His people, to purify His church, and to send all the pretenders packing so that we might get busy doing the work of the Lord once again. The scattering of the sheep is all a part of God's plan. Now, as far as this scattering goes, these believers, uh, they're often put through God's refining process and then brought forth pure before God. But it leads to another part here that I want to share with you, and I'm kind of coming to the end of this message here. And I want to show you this in Zechariah 13, but I'll start with verse 1. Okay, I want to start with verse 1 now. Ronnie had chosen uh, glory to his name, great song, and there were two verses there, verses 3 and 4, that mentioned a fountain. Did you, did you catch that in the song? Well, I want you to know, here's where the fountain's mentioned as well. Zechariah 13, verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That fountain that's mentioned here, it has some, um, it's tied, really, future past Zechariah in the future, it is tied to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The smiting of the shepherd had to take place. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. When he went to the cross, he died for our sins, but also not only did he die for our sins, but he died so that he might give to us the power of God in us and then the, the blood of Christ over us so that we might find ourselves always in that fountain, always being cleansed from that which is unclean. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. You'll read that in 1 John. So in this case, the, the fourth part of this, after the scattering of the sheep, is the saving of the few. And what we find in Zechariah 13, the fountain refers to the Lord and what's offered. And look how verse 2 says it. 
It says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the false prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. This fountain is here to cleanse us from sin and uncleanliness or uncleanness in our lives. Christ, when he died, he rose from that grave. And then if you uh, happen to have your place in Mark chapter 14, you'll see that he says, when I rise, I'll go before you into Galilee. He knew that he wasn't staying dead. He wasn't going to be smited and that would be the end. He knew that he would rise from the grave three days later because he was preparing a way so that there would be a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And that as the song goes on and speaks about those sinners being plunged in that fountain, they should be free and cleansed of all their guilty stains. But the fountain is the Lord Jesus. In the case of him saying, when I rise, I'll go before you, here's the thing Jesus does in your life, and this is why you need to stay close to him. The scriptures go on to tell us that first off, Romans 3.25 would tell us that Jesus is our propitiation. Now that's definitely a big word, but it just simply means Jesus is the satisfaction that God required. Jesus satisfied the anger of God when he presented himself as a sacrifice. He's our you can't do it. Another thing the scriptures tell us about is that Jesus is our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is no mediator between God and man except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He stands between us and the Father. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through any man. You go through the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, you can't get to the Father. You've got to go through Jesus. The other thing is we pass through him just as one would pass through this fountain, not only as a propitiation or a mediator, but Jesus is also our intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It speaks about how the Lord intercedes on our behalf. I have a problem. I have a, I have a need. I've got sin in my life. Well, that sin is against a holy and righteous God. How do I approach the throne of grace how do I come and confess the sin? I pass through the Lord Jesus Christ. He intercedes on my behalf, and so the Scriptures tell me to come boldly into the throne of grace as a result of that. He's my intercessor. But then also, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us He's our advocate. Can you believe that? An advocate? He stands on our behalf. He stands for us. You know, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if we were to go to the Gospel of John, we could read about some things there where Jesus was praying for believers, lifting our names, our, 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 or the, at least the idea of us, up to the Father that there might be a great work done in our lives and that the Father would use us in a powerful way. In Zechariah 13, again, this is all prophetic, but it speaks of a fountain. And I want you to know that fountain is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fountain is what helps us. In this case, it says, verse 2, that he's going to cut off the idols out of, our, out of the land and cause the false prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. The presence of the fountain cleansed the land. And the presence of Christ in our lives cleanses our lives of sin. When it comes to idols, 
Christ will not sit on the throne of your life if you have idols, things that take precedent over Him. When it comes to false prophets, we cannot follow the false prophets or the, the false doctrine and still be right with the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be impossible to do so. So what He does is Jesus' presence, after He was smitten, after the sheep were scattered, after they were put through the refinery and come forth to say, The Lord is my God, then there's the saving work that Jesus comes into the life of the believer and helps us to be restored in right fellowship with God. And Jesus continues to work in our lives as our propitiation, intercessor, and our And when it comes to Him, even though He went forth and did what He did, we find that He helps us in so many special ways. And I wish I could say more about Zechariah, but I need to move on here and conclude the message. And I want to take you over to John chapter 3, and I'll conclude with this thought here. John chapter 3, we often go to verse 16, but in John chapter 3, the, the idea here is Christ is your Savior. If you are interested in going to heaven after you leave this world, happen through Jesus Christ. There's absolutely no other way. In addition to that, if you want to be right with God in this present life we're living, the only way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says that He is the way. That means not only the way to get to the Father, but also the way to live. He is my example. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So two things here. If you want to get to heaven, Jesus is the Savior. And if you want to live to glorify Christ, again, the way of Christ is the only way. And the problem with Scripture is Scripture tells us in verse John chapter 3, it's not really the problem with Scripture, but the proof and the truth of Scripture tells us, Verse 17, a valuable lesson here. We read, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So Christ, when He came into the world, He didn't really need to condemn the world, believe it or not. And the reason is, is because the world's already been condemned. In Genesis chapter 3, when we read of God's plan of redemption to smite the head of the serpent, bruise the hill of Christ, when He came, He didn't come to condemn you in your life and take you out of where you are. He simply came to help you, to save you from your sin, from your flesh, and from yourself. And so in verse 18, it says this, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God the shepherd. And this is the condemnation that light, that is the shepherd, is coming to the world, the fountain is available. And men love darkness rather than light. Men love their sin rather than the sun because their deeds were evil. The stumbling over the shepherd happens every single day of our lives. 
For some, the shepherd's presented before you as your Savior and you want nothing to do with him. Maybe because of pride, you're not willing to believe. You're going to stumble over him. For others who are saved, the shepherd puts his life before you as being holy, and righteous, and he calls you to be the same and to follow him and to follow his word and to follow his teachings. And as that is laid out before you, you'll stumble over that as well. And there's often, on a regular basis, there's a scattering of all those sheep from the various folds. But as the sheep are scattered, God allows His to go through the refinery. And if you are His, you will come forth and you will say, The Lord is my God. And praise the Lord that though we get away from Him, there's a fountain there that can restore.